Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Athletic. The race is on, and there's been yet another big move in F1 team leadership, with James Key joining the Alfa Romeo team as technical director. But why was he the wrong person for McLaren, but the right one for Tauber? And how does it fit in with the ongoing evolution into Audi? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Mark Hughes and Matt Beer. Matt, welcome back again. Some time out from the MotoGP pod to rejoin us on Four Wheels again. Yeah, uh, MotoGP is about to resume for a teeny little flurry of races before its actual summer break this weekend. But I think my only other F1 podcast appearance has been to talk about James Key leaving somewhere. So I've accidentally become stopgap James Key goes somewhere correspondent over here as well. Well, he moves around a little bit. He's had a few technical directorships in his time, so that's not a bad speciality. (laughs) It might be needed again, hadn't it? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Give it another four or five years, and sure, we'll be off to somewhere or other. And Mark Hughes, as always, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Um, Although I'm noting with some concern about the uh, forest fires in Quebec, um, just as we're on the eve of going to the Canadian Grand Prix, so I've been keeping an eye on that. But um, yeah, I mean, natural disasters in three of the last four Grand Prix. That's nothing to worry about there. <laughs> yeah, it's following F1 round a little bit. I wonder why that could be. Well, let's get on to slightly more positive topics and talk a little bit about the big move in the technical director market because James Key does take over as technical director at Alfa Romeo on September the 1st. That's a position held by Jan Monchot since 2019. I guess, Mark, it was inevitable Key would pop up somewhere, but why do you think it's here? It's one of those moves that's obvious in hindsight but didn't occur to you before it happened, isn't it? He's... Um, he enjoyed a very good relationship with Andreas Seidel at McLaren, and it's probably not coincidence that it was only after Andreas left that there was a big technical reshuffle at McLaren, which led to James being dropped. So, I mean, sometimes the personal dynamics of individuals just doesn't work in a way which fully extracts the, the, the potential of the group. And I think that's what was felt at McLaren, that there were inputs not being given a full and fair hearing under James's technical directorship. And Andrea Stella, as the new McLaren boss, had, of course, been part of the technical group under James. And so he'd have his own very clear ideas of how he wanted the individual skills and the team to be grouped. Um, so, yeah, James has he's worked at Sauber before, so the easing in might be expected to be a bit smoother than usual. But from the team's perspective, from Sauber's perspective, why the change? Why has Jan Monchot been dropped? I mean, last year under his technical directorship with a pretty small team, still quite, you know, production restricted, let's say, um, they did a good job. They were the occasionally fastest after the big three teams. They were sixth in the constructors. It felt 
like a direction had been established and with a big Audi investment on its way, the future was bright. It still is, I think, but there's no doubt that this year's car has been a disappointment. It's not a disaster, but it, it, it's actually the slowest qualifiers in average over the first seven races, not by much. And the, the gap from sixth to 10th is very small. And you, that, that that's sort of like a fruit machine, that, that part of the, 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 the competitive order, but that, that's where it is at the moment. And that doesn't reflect very well on the ambition of the team. So. For Audi, seeing the team apparently going backwards is probably not a good look. Um, so maybe Andreas felt action was necessary or to be seen to be taken action. Um, I don't know if Monshaw was offered a role and rejected it or wasn't offered a role. I've no idea at this stage. It's something that will come out in time, I guess. But yeah, I mean, Formula One's off very often about getting the right mix of people, not necessarily the... That it's any one individual's fault if a, if a, a mix doesn't work. And it was seen to be time to change at McLaren by the new boss, and he's perfectly entitled to make that change. Um, and so that happened, and the old boss decided that he'd, he'd still like James to be part of uh, where he is now. So that's, yeah, that's the essence. That's what's, that's what's happened. I think you're right about the personal dynamic working well with with Seidel and Key. And in the in the early years of their time together at McLaren, McLaren was on a very positive trajectory as well. So there's logic behind that. This this move to me makes enormous sense as a Sauber signing. I, I I really admired James Key's work at teams like Sauber and Toro Rosso, particularly before. He felt like someone who you could plug into a team with sort of limited ish resources and through his technical leadership, that team would get seventh in the constructors rather than eighth. That sort of incremental making the best of what, you do, what you've got underdog kind of gain. And then his McLaren time was inconclusive. And then obviously McLaren was in, was in quite a poor state when he actually left and has got worse still this season. So what we don't, what we haven't seen from James Key yet is can he lead the technical department at a major F1 team with proper ambitions? That's not Sauber right now, but it's going to be Audi in a couple of years. So that that's the bit that, other than the attraction of Seidel obviously rating him and working with him before, that's the bit that confuses me slightly with this. I think great signing for trying to get Sauber into Q2 more often than in the Q1 exits. It's had a few off this season, but I, I don't see this as a the guy who failed at McLaren can now lead Audi's F1 entry from the technical side. Kind of, I don't see the genius of that that side of the move. There's also very different ways in which people operate. The one thing that has been clear about Key certainly with what he did at Toro Rosso and McLaren, is he kind of likes to be the, the kind of main guy as technical director. I don't think it's a massive ego thing, but he tends to be very much the sort of technical leader. So maybe he's not necessarily the kind of person that would work so well in Andrea Stella's vision of McLaren, which is basically three technical directors, quite well structured, quite well delineated, makes a lot of sense. So that could be one of the things, the other things we've also got to bear in mind is we're not entirely sure whether Monchot might be off somewhere else first because Monchot's got plenty of connections in Formula 1. He used to be at Red Bull, obviously he worked with Fred Vasseur, so Ferrari could be a, a possible move. I, I don't know. From what they've said, they've indicated kind of gently that Monchot is not going to be at Sauber beyond Key coming in, but they've not been too emphatic about what he's doing, which makes me wonder if there is somewhere else for Monchot to go. And then you've always got the question of what the sequence is. But personally, I've always been quite impressed with James Key, as you've done, Mark. I've interviewed him many times, and he's always struck me as someone with a great command of what a team's doing. He can always articulate the approaches, what they're trying to do, the thinking processes, the concepts very, very well. And he seems to have had a pretty good command of things. So 
I've, I've always been sort of fairly impressed with uh, with that side of things, and you hear positive things from people who work with him. There's also a slight question about the different types of technical director. Obviously, Monchot was an aerodynamics guy by background. Key came more from the race engineering school, if you want to look at it that way. Admittedly, that was a very, very long time ago. He was Takuma Sato's race engineer way back in the Jordan days, and then he was a, a technical director very young with uh, Force India, actually just before it became Force India. So... A very broad range of skills, I would actually say, for James Key, an enormous amount of experience. So I can see why he appeals to Sauber, a team that's trying to, I guess, improve in a lot of different areas, especially given he's got a good feel for the baseline of that team having been there, including some of the things like, obviously, the wind tunnel at Kimi Raikkonen's contract buyout money paid for, which still is a very, very high standard facility. Yeah, and of course, um, he's also from the Gary Anderson school. Um, you know, Gary Anderson's got his um, former acolyte all over the paddock. And uh, yeah, he's got one now getting another another shot at Tower. Yeah, there's plenty of those. And uh, Gary certainly has uh, has his flashes of genius at, at times. So that's, uh, yeah, that comes, uh, that, that shakes off onto the people that have that have worked with him. So yeah, it's a very interesting move for Alfa Romeo. And this is a team that's evolving a lot. As you said, it's still growing and yeah I do like that personal dynamic from what I understand Seidel held Monchot in pretty high regard as well uh, that's not him saying something in public it's just that you hear about what people think about certain people so I doubt if it's as simple as him thinking oh yeah Monchot's rubbish out he goes in comes my old mate I don't think it would be that straightforward at all but it does give a clear different direction for Sauber and Monchot joined obviously at a time when they were trying to recover from those years of underinvestment in the post BMW era got taken over by Finn Rousing and so some money came in Monchot I think took the role in 2019 and did deliver on the need to for the start of the ground effects era create a nice positive baseline for them to start from so that much was uh, was encouraging but yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, how that team evolves and I guess the other question mark is can we expect other recruitment to be going on there we know they're still bringing in people slowly because that team was down less than 300 people not so many years ago so it is one that's expanding as this aldification process continues yeah and I mean when you're um, expanding a team of 300 people to probably going to be in excess of a thousand or somewhere near there you can't just do it instantaneously. It's it, you know, the 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 quality of the people that you're recruiting um, is obviously uh, of prime importance, and so that that takes time. And I think we're going to see lots more people um, being recruited. And with the Audi investment going in, there's going to be very many attractive offers being made to people who are highly rated. But a lot of those are going to be on gardening leave contracts. So it's going to take a time. It, it, this is a long term project. And I think um, we're going to just see a steady trickle of, you know, high and low profile names um, going over to going up to Hinville. So uh, yeah, this is um, just the first, I think. Yeah, certainly plenty going on at that team. They admit they still need to build up the infrastructure to get up to top team level, but they've got a few years. Obviously, 2026 is the big focus because that's when it becomes the Audi Works team properly. But obviously, Audi's already acquired a minority stake and it'll have a majority controlling stake by the time we get to 2026. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. 
We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best. And that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're gonna be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Matt, Alfa Romeo, it's been very Q2 this year, hasn't it? Two points Joe Guanyu scored in Spain was only its second points of the season after Bottas' eighth in Bahrain. So what have you made of the team's season so far? What kind of team is James Key going to be joining? It's a very sauber sort of situation at the moment, isn't it? it, it just it, You could describe an awful lot of Sauber's entire history of F1 like this season really you it's a team that you if you're trying to list all 10 teams it's all it's probably not for you ed but for most people it's probably the one you forget when you're making the list because it does tend to sometimes fluctuate into this position where it's it's certainly not a bad team but it's it's not in a resources and competitiveness position where it can properly spring many surprises can properly score points on merit it started last season so strongly uh, mainly because it, it hit the weight limit at a time when other teams were struggling and it was so impressive last year how it went from some really hideous bouncing problems and having to hack its floor apart and stuff in testing to then being so competitive at the start of the season and then as the year went on too slow to get uh, parts to the car the production capacity wasn't what, what was needed compared to other teams other teams actually have more performance potential to extract from their cars and uh, Sauber's or Alfa Romeo as it still is the reliability there just wasn't wasn't good enough either so it slipped away from such a promising start to the season the Bahrain Grand Prix this year, it wasn't quite as good as the Bahrain Grand Prix last year, but you still had Bottas doing a really well-executed race to get into the points. And it just felt like this is where Alpha's going to be in 2023. It's not quite as good as 2022, but the car's all right. It's absolutely fine. This will be okay. But since then, there's been an awful lot of anonymous races. It's kind of stagnated a bit again. There's been um, bits of... Um, floor damage actually affecting quite a lot of races in terms of Bottas's competitiveness in particular it's just kind of it felt like it's meandered a little bit and it's in this extremely tight pack where even though the Williams as Alex Albon keeps insisting is as bad as everyone thought it was it's able to occasionally spring some surprises Haas is up and down the grid quite a lot um Alpha Tauri similarly it's in a really so 
Alfa Romeo ended up in a really unpredictable four-way battle for the kind of the rubbish spots in the Constructors' Championship. And it's not showing any sign that's going to do any more than that. And neither is it showing any sign that it's it's going to be the clear winner of that battle. All four teams are having, having some quite high peaks. Haas's peaks, I'd say, the highest. It just can't sustain them over a race distance more often than not. Mm. So that's a very long-winded say, way of saying it's being really sauber this season. And I did wonder with the Audi timeline, whether there was a, a chance that Sauber would kind of tread water in an increasingly underwhelming way through these seasons, just through just through kind of necessity as it kind of changed itself as all the restructuring was happening. Because that's if they were going to focus fully on 2026 and getting everything they needed to be where it should be for 2026, that would actually be really logical and just okay, they'd lose some prize money from these seasons, but they might end up with a lovely ATR situation going into 2026 as well if they've had a few poor constructors' finishes. So it's not doing terribly, it's not doing brilliantly, it, it's it's soubering. <laughs> yeah, I think that's quite a good way of, uh, of looking at it. I mean, Mark, you, like I do, follow the performance levels very closely. I think if you were to put the 10 F1 cars from this year into uh, a top trumps game, the Sauber would not be winning any category, but it would just be kind of fine all the way through, which is why it's always sort of okay in the midfield but it's not overpowered in any area so it doesn't have these big peaks and troughs it just sort of rattles along yeah in a, in a part of the field that's quite i mean chevy pujolar their head of trackside engineering said that they're in a very volatile group mm. very volatile part of the field where he has to do things really well but because their car's sort of quite decent and it does everything okay and it's reasonably well balanced that just sort of means they're always on any given day going to be qualifying kind of 12th or 13th, whereas you might get a Haas at least, as we saw in Spain, qualifying well up the order and then dropping back. So at least it's a bit more eye-catching. In a way, being sort of solid across the board sort of positive because it means if you can just keep adding aerodynamic load and maintain those benign handling characteristics, you'll get somewhere. So how do you see what they've got? Is it a good thing or a bad thing to be in that sort of pocket of performance where they're okay at everything and brilliant at nothing? It's just where they are. That that group is just where they are. And you, you know, if you were playing that, that if that was your card in top trumps, and you, you, your opposition had one of the other teams from that group, you know, you would be, um, you'd say, if it was against a Williams, you'd, you'd use its downforce, and that you would get that card. If it was against a Haas, you'd use its tire deg, and you'd, you'd beat the, the Haas on that. But you know, just as easily they could beat you with other aspects of performance, so drag or whatever ride quality. So, yeah, it's, that's it, it. It's not where it aspires to be, but I don't think there's a a crisis uh, level of um, expectation that it's it, it needs to be in the next group up. It needs to be in the you know getting into Q three all the time or being best of the rest after the big three or four. I don't think that that is uh, an imperative, but over the next few years it will increasingly become so. And if there's not signs of, um, you know, outward signs, uh, indications that it is moving in a, a positive direction, then that 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 pressure will build. But it, I, you know, I think um, I think Matt's right. It, it, it's it's about building for when Audi come in full time, and 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 about making a big splash then and. Well, the Audi got very high hopes for its its power unit for the new twenty six regulations, and I think that's going to be a bit of an arms race with the the, 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 the fuel as well. So it's about getting all your ducks in a row for twenty six, but you don't want to be just 
relying on random chance that it everything is is sort of uh, okay at, at the factory, ready ready for you to just appear. It, it, it it's got to be, you know, they've, they've got to be seeing that it's 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 making progress. And, that, and that's what um, Seidel's there for. That's that's his job. That's that's what he's preparing. And uh, we'll see when the time comes. But I I don't think anything. I don't think anyone is expecting anything exceptional from Sauber. He'll have good races and bad races and it's in that part of the field. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm not looking for anything sparkling. I'd be surprised with anything sparkling happen- happening this season. It'll just be, uh, you know, le- less good or, or less bad from race to race within that same little group. And, and someone has to be that team as well. You know, not not every team can, can win, can be top five. And I actually think Sauber's eventual constructors result, they just clung on to last season of sixth. That's fantastic. That's that's really worth celebrating for a team that is what Sauber is right now. That'll be not exactly a disaster for Audi at the start, but if that's the peak of Audi's achievements, that will be that would be a disaster. But yeah, they're do- they're doing fine. I'm happy if I see a Sauber doing well. I'm not too surprised if I see a Sauber out in Q1. Yeah, and if you look at where they are, the level on points with Haas in the battle for seventh in the constructors' championship, they I guess could still aspire to beat McLaren. Maybe McLaren have got nine points more and they're not performing brilliantly well at the moment but if you said pre-season oh Alfa Romeo are going to be seventh in the Constructors Championship you probably think yeah they probably will be because they almost were last year so yeah an interesting scenario for them I'd like to see them be a little bit more consistent with execution and that kind of thing because I think they've improved a lot in that area over the past few years but they've not always been perfect on that score so it's a good chance to continue to sharpen up everything trackside as well and there's a lot of things that they're, they're doing one of the interesting things they they did do last year is they started manufacturing their own gearbox casing they take Ferrari gearbox internals but they did their own casing initially it seemed this was purely because they wanted to do their own rear suspension geometry rather than being linked to what Ferrari do because obviously that you have the suspension pickup points on the gearbox. But actually it was primarily a cost cap thing because it's more efficient under the cost cap because regardless of what you pay for your gearbox supply from another team, there's a certain nominal fee attached to it. So it's actually better value to make your own and they're waiting for the gearbox rules for 26 to be finalised to decide exactly how much they have to ramp up at Hinville in terms of making the internals themselves. But there's options to you know, acquire gearbox dyno technology and that kind of thing and beef up their gearbox department if they need to. So there's various bits and pieces going on. They're kind of trying to do what, say, Aston Martin was doing, but in a much more subdued, steady way. Because although they do have, in fact, their own billionaire owner they've had in recent times, it's not quite the Lawrence Stroll money is no object attack on every possible level approach. And of course, Audi now coming in, they're investing as well. That's uh, that's picking that up. So they're in a position where they could be pretty strong in, in 2026. But yeah, there's there's a long way to go. Unless we forget, this was the team that won a race as BMW when BMW owned it. So perhaps they can uh, they can repeat that. And there's a lot of good things about that, that team. Obviously, they invested in their driving loop simulator. So I, I guess, Mark, this is a team that's got some interesting potential, but it needs to prove that it can really make good on that because it's been a long time since it's had this opportunity to ramp up in a way where you could say, yeah, down the line, you can see them fighting near the front. It's got everything needed, you know, to make a success of it, given enough time and given the, the right decisions are made. Um, you know, now, going forward, it's, it's the, the basic platform's fine. Um, but, you know, it's got strengths and weaknesses being located where it is, 
arguably one of the weaknesses because you can't always get people to move over there. Um, but it has strengths as well. It's got a you know great engineering culture there. It's 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 had it still benefits from even though it was uh, in dire financial straits a few a few years back. It's still its facilities are still uh, have benefited from that time when it was last had a heavy investment from BMW. So there's nothing wrong with the basic platform. Um, there's a lot of money coming in. It's just whether the uh, correct decisions are made in this building process. Then there's there's no reason why 2026, 27, this won't be an absolutely top team. But there's it's no guarantee either. It's 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 just something that will become apparent how wisely that um, investment's been made, what choices have been made uh, in terms of recruitment and facilities and, and and what everybody else is doing, of course, which you can't control. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Let's talk now about the drivers, Mark, because we briefly mentioned Joe Guan in our Spanish Grand Prix review podcast. He's out of contract for next year, but how would you evaluate his progress as an F1 driver 29 races into his career? I think he's done everything that could be asked of him, um, but we don't have a very high level of visibility of his actual raw speed. He's, he's quite often puts in really good, like last race, uh, for example, in, in Spain, really good race, um, very, very solid you know, feisty, um, but in control, making good decisions. He's, he, he's, he's got all the basics there. What differentiates a driver like that that can absolutely justify his place on the F1 grid as a regular to um, a potential megastar is those last couple of tenths of a second. And does he have those? It's It's very difficult to assess that when you, you, you're measuring him against Valtteri because sometimes, as we know, Valtteri can be super quick and sometimes it's it's like he's gone missing for the weekend. So which Valtteri is he being compared to? And, and when when is um, when is Valtteri on it? You, 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 you wouldn't necessarily know because you, you're dealing with um, is a, like a, not a known quantity in Joe. So, uh, yeah, I would... I think he's done everything that could be asked of him, but we need uh, to see a little bit, uh, a little bit more evidence, really, to see if he would be justified in being retained as a, as a, you know, a high-profile representation of a big manufacturer. 
the thing I do like about Joe is I think he's one of those drivers who gets proportionally better as the complexity of the challenge he faces goes through. So I don't think he ever showed that stellar pace in the junior categories. Quick enough, but not not stellar. But I've really liked from the start in F1 the kind of methodical way he's worked, worked sensibly through weekends. It took him a, a, I still don't think he's completely on top of it, but chasing that track evolution and things in qualifying, certainly last year at times was catching him out quite a bit, but that's the thing that comes with experience. But yeah, just being able to piece together those races to to work in a sensible way with a setup etc I think is the thing that's shown him in very positive light so I think from that perspective he's been doing quite well he's I think with where Alpha is he's probably putting himself in quite a good position to stay on for next year if he keeps doing what he's doing but of course you never know who might pop up on the driver market there's a degree to which this is just like like a lot of things about this team right now a very very sober lineup in that they've got a young driver who is good not gonna be great but certainly doing not a bad job and an older driver who you can't really judge from race to race consistency wise but like you say ed i I think joe's done done really well his his junior career was absolutely fine and quite impressive in places but like you say he's one of these drivers who've got to f1 put their mind to it and there aren't many races where you've thought okay he's really made a mess of that or his inexperience is really showing he's he's done his learning very sensibly Bottas has gone out of his way to help that as well. They, they've had a really lovely relationship, which has which has paid off for the whole team. So yeah, I'd have no objections whatsoever to him staying in F one for a, a few more years. I don't think he's done enough by quite a long way to make a case for still being there when Audi comes in with the kind of ambition Audi's going to have and how an att- how attractive a destination Audi will seem to any driver at a major team that's not going anywhere at, in twenty twenty five. And you know, I know a lot of manufacturers have failed in F1, but a manufacturer of Audi's size looks alluring before it comes in and you see what the reality may or may not be. Um, and then also, by the same token, Bottas will surely not still be there um, come the Audi era. He's, you know, his experience, I'm sure, could be useful, but he's not on a upward trajectory really at, at this point. His, I was so impressed with his first few races at Alpha. I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those great tales of someone who looked great got a bit crushed at a big team against a legendary teammate and then they revived themselves as a midfield underdog hero just achieving something that a achieving something that a midfield team shouldn't do when they're free of the pressure and the kind of mental crushing of being up against someone who they're never going to beat in the same team I, like you say he's gone missing a few times as well a, a few of those times he's appeared to go missing this season have turned out to be floor damage um, that have that sport his performance but there's definitely been a couple of times during this year when I've thought do we need to write something now about what's gone wrong with Bottas because his form just feels like it's drifting too much you're judging it against Joe getting better and better as well so some of the margins disappeared because his teammates now more experienced but I don't know there have been there've been weekends definitely where I've, where I've just thought oh are they, there's a correlation almost between the funnier Bottas gets on social media the less impressive his performances on track seem to be getting at the moment because there's, there's, you're not getting many many flashes that said q3 in miami was impressive and the the bahrain race drive like we said earlier was was very good yeah the thing valtteri this season that you you talked about there's been several races where if you just take them in isolation you think yeah that's fair enough that's just one of those things he's just unfortunate and you you couldn't possibly have, have shown anything given those circumstances but when it keeps happening i think you you must start to question why does it keep happening to me? But is there something about a focus? Is there something you know subconscious going on there? 
that that's making those things happen, or that, that's that's not um, alert enough to them not happening. And I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. But the more the more weekends like that he has, where you can just say in isolation, yeah, it's just one of those things. You can't keep saying that. So yeah, it's a cycle. He really needs to break. Um, and whether it's his, within his control to break it, I, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not been that that great a start for his for his season. Yeah, it is tricky to judge with him. I think there may be. A case that if things had just not gone against him, like Monaco, I think he was quite strong that weekend, quite quick, but just a bit of traffic in qualifying, and he actually executed the race pretty well. But yeah, then you get ones like Spain, where yeah, things just like the prep lap didn't go for him. Then he did seem to have some floor damage. It wasn't entirely clear where that came from on the first lap. So yeah, taken as a whole, you do have to raise some questions. But I think this team is a very interesting one in terms of future driver lineup. It's it's too early to really know, but. It's a team that could appeal to some fairly big drivers because of the Audi involvement come 2026. But I think it depends on a number of things. It depends on how well this team does over the next few years. And these are very much interim period. It's an interim period. Obviously, it's not going to be called Alfa Romeo next year because that deal ends. So it's going to be called something else for a couple of years before presumably being called Audi. So everything's going to scream into him and they can't really afford just to sort of roll around being very Q2 if they want to get some kind of of top driver. But I can see come 26, because a lot of people have been linked for them, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, it's going to be somebody who's pretty good or potentially very good, but who hasn't quite got an opportunity with a team that's doing well. That's why people have pointed to someone like Norris. If McLaren doesn't deliver, he could go on a fly there. Carlos Sainz has somebody who's been named as, as of interest to Alfred. It's still very, very early to be talking about this, but they are going to be a, an interesting player in the driver market. And come 26, they could actually have a really startling driver lineup or a very, as you put it, Matt, Sauber one still. I can't see it being a Sauber one at that point. I just think, Ed, you, you said if they roll around be, being very Q2 for a couple of years, that won't do their hopes of recruiting a driver any good. I don't think I don't think the likes of a Norris or a Science as just examples, will actually care what Sauber's done in 24 and 25 if they're in a position that their current teams where things seem to have stagnated and the progress just isn't there, they're not going to become champions, regular winners in the places they are. This applies to any driver, really, who's got a bit of pedigree and who feels at that point like their team's treading water and they're not going to get there and they're not going to achieve their personal goals where they are. A manufacturer with Audi's motorsport success level coming in, having had as many years as it's had to get prepared for a new set of rules and a big reset, that's worth the punt for anybody, I would say. So I, I think Audi can control the driver market is quite strong. But at a time when an awful lot of drivers are locked down for a very long time, Audi's surely going to be the most attractive, potentially going to be the most attractive place for an awful lot of free agents if a lot of teams are still kind of bumbling along having full starts in recoveries like quite a few of the best of the rest group are at the moment yeah I think it depends on very much those sorts of circumstances who's being disappointed who's willing to take a flyer but it's uh, yeah it's going to be a it's going to be a a tricky scenario to predict I think at this stage and it will be a risk because obviously who knows how good that Audi engine package will be they're coming into f1 as a as a fresh engine manufacturer yes there's old know-how there from doing the engines for the lmp program it's audi so they're doing it seriously they've invested heavily but yeah you can't be sure how good that package is and and that's i think why i would have thought if you're a driver 
the performance level of the team in the interim will have a bit of an impact. I think you'll at least want to see the team making some progress. I don't think it needs to be at the front winning races or anything in the interim. But yeah, you'd want to see at least a, a gentle upward trend to convince you. But yeah, they're, they're the wild card in the in the driver market. And there's going to be lots of talk about that, I suspect, over the coming years. But yeah, that there's a lot that's going to change between now and then. And it may well be that they carry on with Bottas and Joe next year because the driver lineup isn't the priority for them ultimately. But uh, they can afford to wait and see how other aspects of the driver market shake out for next year. Well, thanks very much to Matt Beer and Mark Hughes for your insight. Head to the Race.com and don't forget the hyphen huge amounts to read there have a listen to our other podcasts including MotoGP where you can often hear from Matt Beer and our IndyCar podcast and Ringback V10s and also have a look at our YouTube channel well the Formula 1 world never sleeps I'm sure we'll get yet another technical director move any minute now because they seem to be coming along like London buses right now so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula 1 The Athletic.